0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined by John Brazier. And, John, we have another classic player from the 1993 National League Championship uh, champion Phillies.
1: Well, it's one of our favorite players on the field, certainly around the 93, 94, that era. But Mm. also off the field, we've... Uh, get a chance to see him. I get a chance to see him at Fantasy Camp every year, and I know he's part of the Darren Dalton Foundation. He comes up every year for the great golf event, so uh, very proud to bring on Jim Eisenreich. Izzy, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Then Tom said uh, classic. Does that mean old? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we're right there with
0: you, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're right there I with know. you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've been fortunate enough, Jim, to you know uh, interview a lot of guys from the team, and uh, we just yeah we love you know love talking about those days. Um, it was great seeing you. Yeah, we saw you last month. The Aaron Dalton Foundation had a, a great weekend, uh, the celebrity golf event uh, as well as the uh, the celebrity bartending event. But uh, great that you could come up and um, and be a part of that.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and uh, we'd love to, you know, talk a little bit about – certainly we're going to talk about the 93 Phillies, but we'd love to kind of talk about your career, fascinating career, Jim. Um, and, uh, you know, um, you you grew up in Minnesota. And just kind of reading your background, everywhere you went, Jim, you hit. <laughs> when you were, you know, eight years old and playing Little League or t- – no, wasn't in T-ball back then. Could you
2: always hit? Well – Pretty much, a, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I, to not brag, I hit the ball. I made a lot of contact. Yeah. You know, I, but yeah, I, I was able to, I guess, adjust to each new level and and wanted to, <laughs> probably more than anything. And so I, I did. I, I could hit a little bit.
1: Now, also, we've talked, and, and being from Minnesota, uh, I know the answer, but you were a, uh, a hockey player as well. Did you start hockey uh, at a young age as well?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah, I and, <laughs> Sad to say, but I almost liked hockey more than baseball. Hmm. It was more popular in Minnesota, and um, yeah, hockey was fun. We had a rink in our backyard. My dad made every every winter. It was cool as could be.
1: And you're one of five kids, so you could you could field a whole team, right? <laughs> well, you need a goalie. I guess your dad would have to be goalie.
2: <laughs> well, kind of, but my older two brothers weren't real keen on skating for okay. whatever reason, and and my sister, we didn't always let her play because her friends were with her. And they couldn't skate, but she could. Right. <laughs> we were kind of mean that way. Do you
0: consider yourself a good skater? Like, were you a good skater, and can you still Very skate good pretty good? Very good ice hockey player, yeah. Tom. Believe
2: me. Yeah, yeah. That—that's what I could—I could skate. I was a—I was—I was a playmaker type, and you, yeah. you know, John, what you, you played, and um, but I could skate. I was fast, uh aware of the game. You know, I, I wasn't—I didn't have all the moves like it seems like a lot of the guys do now, and practice but i i was i like to say i was like a gretzky type where hmm. i could read i could read the the, the rink hmm. and know where my guys were
1: so well you know what's interesting so i used to play in the morning hockey over the wells fargo center before flyers games they laid the ice down and i brought matt stairs out there one time matt was a very good player uh you know obviously he coached up in maine but you know matt grew up playing ice hockey and was a super super hockey player
2: so yep i i've He's told me that, too. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I guess we we can't talk about your history, Jim, without talking about, uh, you know, your, uh, the, your the Tourette's syndrome, you know. And um, I guess about what age um, did you feel like, uh, you know, you had uh, some, some of, I guess, uh, the symptoms of, uh, of I guess, you, at the, at that time, you didn't know what you had, right? You, you, you know, That's it wasn't diagnosed. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it was probably first or second grade. Um but didn't, you know, I just knew that I was doing these things. I didn't like them, um, but nobody really knew why. I, I went to a, a Catholic grade school, so I had some nuns for teachers, and that didn't always work out so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that it was around then, you know, and my, my parents did what they could to try to figure it out, and, you know, doctors tried to figure it out, but they just said, well, Jim has these habits, and, you know, if it's not affecting his school or whatever else he does, you know, then he'll probably grow out of them.
1: And Tourette's syndrome is either or can be either or both uh, verbal tics, right? Or, or physical tics. Um, Correct. And, so how did it manifest itself with you at that time?
2: Um, well, first, it, it to get a real diagnosis, you do have to have both, you know, okay. the motor and, and, the, and the vocal. Um, so the first ones that I had where the motor, like, I'd blink my eyes, and that's kind of the very typical, um, I guess, starting point, you know, and, and I could always see well, but, right, I'd get asked if I could, if I I was having trouble seeing, you know, and I'd blink my eyes, just seemed like non-stop, and those kind of evolved into something, moving my neck and shoulders, and, but the vocal part of it was probably the worst, because I would, oh, I would sniffle and, and kind of grunt like I was clearing my throat, and, like, I had a cold, and, in fact, my dad's Buddies would always ask, you know, take care of that cold when you get home, or hmm. you know, it's like Ted well, didn't know I had one, but anyway, so that's what I that's what I really did at, at the start, and typically they kind of they go away after a while, but then they were replaced by something else, you know. So
3: hmm. yeah, that's
2: how it was for me.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, playing sports uh, was was great for you. Maybe if your mind's not on it, uh, you, did you feel pretty comfortable uh, playing sports?
2: That's exactly, exactly right. Yeah, it was a distraction from having any kind of problem. And even though we didn't know it was called Tourette, I knew that I was different than my family, my brother's sister and, you know, classmates and even even my teammates on the different sports. But it was a it was a really good distraction for me. And and so even though I did them, you know, I could still play because you're always moving and, and that helped kind of mask them.
0: Yeah, and then you went to St. Cloud Technical High School, and then, which is great. Then St. Cloud State University, and again, you recruited. Uh, you played uh, in, in college, which, but, is, uh, which is one of the top ice hockey programs oh, in the in the country. Well, they must have baseball too, because Jim did okay there. But what I thought was interesting is that your dad went went there as well. Did he play baseball there at St. Cloud?
2: Well, you know what, my dad, um, he 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 did not play baseball there. No, he um, he was a World War II guy. He it was kinda of funny, he went to high school at the Catholic school in Saint Cloud, Saint Cloud Cathedral. And but he went to, to college at Saint Cloud State, but he didn't really get his degree until he got back from World War II, And he, he so he never played, he actually played hockey more <laughs> than anything. And he played slow pitch softball and you know that was what they did. But he he did not play college baseball.
0: Yeah, he, he must have been excited that you're uh, going to St. Cloud State and uh, following his footsteps a little bit there. And I guess uh, you did okay. In college, Jim, was uh, Tourette's, I guess, you you've, uh, were you battling it then too? Or uh, did it get in the way
2: of your, of, of your career there in college playing baseball? You know, it it, it only got in the way of some of the school um, classes. But, mm. you know, once you get to college, you kind of have mobility because you, you don't, just have a class you know every hour of every day you know you make your own schedule and you go to a you know a lecture or a lab or you know whatever it is and and typically like it was for me when i was younger there were no seating charts (laughs) so i could sit in the back i was a little more comfortable then but but there were times when when i was advised to go to the the nurses station or whatever they called it and 'Cause they someone must have said something that he's making all this noise and doing these things and and so I I'd go and the nurse would tell me that so how long have you had these tremors? They called them tremors. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I don't know. I've done these forever. It's I don't know. Okay, you know, so nothing ever really came of that as far as um medically uh, speaking, but and it didn't really affect my playing ball. I, again that was a really good distraction for me. I I loved loved working out, practicing. Of course, we're all inside, you know, in the the winter up there. And then just to play was, was a lot of fun.
1: Well, speaking of inside, so were, were they, did they diagnose it as is it agoraphobia, which is the fear of being outside or being in uh, large crowds? Was that what they were?
2: Well, I, I think over the, over the years, I was diagnosed with every phobia possible. Right. So agoraphobia, claustrophobia, um, Stage fright. Um, let's see what else. I, there's a whole bunch of things, and, you know.
1: And were they constantly like, we trying different medications with you for these different ailments that they're diagnosing? Like, how did that work?
2: Well, I, I didn't get any of the that kind of medical um, help until I got to the twins, okay. and then, and that was when I was really having trouble on the field. Right up until then, I never had trouble on the field. You know, I just. I just did these things, and my teammates would. Uh, what do you do that for? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know how to answer them, and so I didn't get the medicine help, and really till I got to the to the big leagues with the Twins in '82.
0: Yeah, in '82, you make it, and then um, uh, I guess center field too. You you started center field for that. Were you always an outfielder too, Jim?
2: Yeah, I you know okay. being left-handed. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I could run. So uh, that yeah, um, and you know with the Twins in those days. I don't know if you remember, but their owner—that was his business. He didn't have have a have a side business, and baseball was his hobby. Yeah, like, it was Calvin Griffith, like 30. a lot of them.
3: Yeah,
2: Calvin Griffith. That's correct. And I, I was in the right place at the right time a lot then, and we ended up having I think fifteen rookies in the course of '82 and '83. Wow. You know, late '81. Um, you know, Kent Herbert, Gary Gaetti,
3: Ron Frank Washington, Biola. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, yep, all these guys. And that was and the first year of the Metrodome, Jim? That's correct. I was, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a dream come true for me. Oh, yeah, Starting third fielder, team. lead up yeah. hitter. Oh. I'm living our north there, you know, and yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, then, then let's go to, and, you know, we'll, I, I can't wait to get into the 93 season. But then, like, I guess you had an incident in Fenway where it kind of all came to a halt where you, you went off the field. Um, you know and then i guess later that season you you had another incident so you know that's where it's really i just find it amazing that they that the doctors at that point couldn't couldn't diagnose a Tourette syndrome because it really wasn't until you were about 23 when they officially diagnosed it as Tourette's correct
2: right and and that is mainly because there's such a fine line between that and you know behavior issues right you know trying to get yeah. attention or or yeah. whatever and And there's no physical test for having Tourette. It's really done by observation, and they, you know, they, of course, when I got to the twins, they didn't know any of my history. They they didn't know what I was like as a kid. There was nothing to go on, other than what maybe my parents said or what I told them, Um, and so it was just it it was often misdiagnosed in those days. Very often.
1: Well, then then you go back and forth, and then. Which I again, your story is—it's a movie. There's a movie. made. I, I can't mm. believe a movie hasn't been made because uh, then you you basically kind of go, go back and forth uh, between being on the team and then then you know uh, quitting or, or not quitting, but uh, you know stopping baseball
2: voluntarily retiring. Voluntarily retiring, <laughs> yes. And then and then you
1: basically spent three years. Yeah. You retired basically. You spent three years in Saint Cloud working as a part-time painter. You worked in an archery shop. Played semi-pro, I guess, it was a baseball or softball. Uh, which is crazy. Like what, you know, you don't hear that somebody taking three years off, especially after what happened to you afterwards. Cause we all know it from being a Phillies fan. Uh, but that's, uh, tell us about t- taking those three years off and then, you know, and then basically willing yourself to try it one more time.
2: Well, I, I think you've probably heard me say before one of my childhood dreams or goals was to be normal, yep. you yep. know, whatever that was supposed to mean. But mm-hmm. it. In my mind, it meant that I wouldn't have any, any ticks or whatever, you know, the Tourette part of it. And so that was normal to me. And I just, um, the, the three years out, I, I guess when I first had the issues in Boston and then eventually got to a hospital uh, in Minneapolis, I kind of felt for the first time I was getting the medical help I probably needed. And, and I say that because this is a major league baseball team. They had access to every known medical thing i thought you know going on and so I, in some ways i felt a little relief but i also uh i was still hopeful and i guess cautiously hopeful maybe is a better way to say it and so when i heard the word um or the phrase Tourette syndrome you know i i didn't really understand it and it probably took me the better part of a year or two to research and, and read what I could, um, about it. It's like, wow, this is kind of exactly what I do. So what it did for me though, is it, it gave a, a reason for what I was doing, but it also did give me hope because the the thing I thought was I'm not the only one that has this and there is help. And that, those were the two big things. And it all went back to wanting to be a normal person, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, and that, you, that's how it happened.
0: Yeah. And you went to the Royals and uh, what I thought was interesting too, Jim, is uh, your manager at the twins was Billy Gardner and here they had just hired, the Royals had just hired Billy Gardner. I, he was a guy, uh, your manager for a number of years. Was he pretty supportive of
2: uh, what you were going through at that time? You know, uh, yeah. And, and it was another, it was a weird situation there because he wasn't supposed to be the manager. He was going to be the third base coach, Dick Hauser you know, was, was the manager of the Royals and he was diagnosed with cancer. And, and he, I saw him one day in spring training and that was it. And then they, they named Billy as the interim manager. And so there, there he was again, you know, and um, he, he was supportive from the standpoint that I knew talking to me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, in some ways I always felt really guilty and responsible for yeah. the, for the twins not doing as well or and having worried about me being you know in and out of the lineup because that was not the way you like it to be and we had a lot of young guys and I, I think some of them weren't real happy with me either you know and i didn't know what to do i mean i was kind of helpless I, I so anyway that that was that was that um so but yeah once i got called uh, I, I went to double f i think you knew that but i went to double a yeah. with the royals out of spring training and i was called up in mid-june and And there's Billy, you know, he's, he's now the manager. He's been the manager and that, uh, he seemed okay with everything. Yeah. You know? So.
0: Yeah, well, and then you know you actually uh, had some good years in Kansas City, and then I guess it, it finally happened—a free agent, '93. Uh, the Phillies uh, had finished in last place in '92. Uh, did you know much about the club before uh, you signed here, Jim? Uh,
2: no, I knew nothing. Right. No, I you know I, being the, the in the situation I was in, I only had two two offers from teams as a free agent. And the other team was the Braves. Oh, <laughs> could you imagine, the, the John? To, the uh, we wouldn't be to talking to him to, right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Braves wanted to send me to, to A, you know, a minor league contract. And, and even uh, though I was 34, it's like, okay. I, I want to go play where the big boys play. Yeah. So what did Lee
0: Thomas, know? did Lee Thomas, I uh, mean, was the platoon situation, you wound up in a platoon situation in uh, right field with Wes Chamberlain. Um, and of course we had Inky and Milt out in left field. we were also new that year. New knew that year. Um, and you had uh, Mickey and Mariano at second. But uh, um, was that, uh, what, did Lee explain um, maybe what your role was going to be with that
2: team? Uh, not really. No, yeah. I think that was all going to be Jimmy, yeah. you know, yeah. and and I, I didn't really care. I was on the team. I was going to take whatever. I was third, fourth. You know, I was an old guy. <laughs> So I was going to do whatever I could and just just, uh, be a good teammate. And it turned out way better than I thought.
0: Well, yeah. And so you come, and it's been talked about a lot, Jim. You come, it's spring training, you're in Clearwater, you're in the locker room. It is this group that Lee put together. Uh, You know, we had a number of free agents, uh, a lot of new faces that year, but it was a, a veteran team. Um, and it was kind of do or die. I mean, a lot of guys who were, you know, uh, getting up there in years. And, uh, and a motley crew. And a motley crew. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so it's been kind of, uh, uh, you know, talked about how they made you feel welcomed in kind of a roundabout way. Uh, how did you feel in that clubhouse, that spring training?
2: Well, that, that was kind of it. You know, um, Krucke, he's a, a crack-up. I mean, he, you know, he's, <laughs> he's crazy, you know, in a really good way. But, um, no, it it was almost like from day one, you know, in, in spring training. And, um, it just, everybody kind of make jokes, you know, we had a really good spring, you know, I don't know if you remember, but we, we won a bunch of games and it, I don't know, after the 10th game, I think we're coming into the clubhouse and Larry Anderson says, ah, just another lousy one run win, (laughs) you know, and that, but that's the way they were just kind of lighthearted, but. Um, and you, you know it's spring training so you really don't care or really don't know what what the season's going to be like, but you know, it carried right down into the season and the the funny thing was somewhere in the middle of the season, Crucky was was we were just chatting a little bit and he said, you know, with you on this team with all these crazy guys, you must feel like you're the most normal person around
3: <laughs> right <laughs>
2: It's like, Johnny, you just gave me my childhood dream. Right, I, I was a normal, normal guy. <laughs> well, and I love what
1: you what you said to Kruk. Well, I guess one time he was on a bus, and uh, he said he said, "Hey, hey Dahmer," he called you Jeffrey Dahmer. He goes, "Hey Dahmer," and then <laughs> tell tell what your response was.
2: Oh, this was the, the well. It wasn't Crucky actually. Oh. It was Inkavilia. Oh, was it, it, I can tell you the story if you want. It's kind of funny. Um, it was a spring training road trip. We didn't, you know, you don't usually have road trips. We went over to Vero Beach and wherever else over there. And Inky was my roommate. And we played the first game and went to the room that night. Well, Inky wasn't, it wasn't there. And I was, uh, I was there all night. We get up in the morning, uh, play the game, hop on the bus and Inky's in the back of the bus. And, and you know the story about how Crookie used uh, Jeffrey Dahmer on me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. and if, if people don't know who he is they can google him yeah we don't, we don't need to explain <laughs> so, it on the inky, podcast right? no inky hollers at me he says hey Rumi, thanks for not eating me last night and i said you're welcome lunch <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that was it was funny oh it brings the house down and
0: and didn't you have a bow and arrow too
2: well that's where it started because yeah. one of my passions is i'm a hunter and and i've I've shot archery, you know you mentioned earlier that I used to work in an archery shop, and that that was my passion. I did a lot of that, and I had a magazine in spring training, and I'm looking through the magazine, and that's what they had on the page. It was the aerial tips, which are called broadheads, you know they're they're razor blades and and Krucke sees that, and he says, "Look at that, what are you going to do with that? Are you looking for for a victim <laughs> you know and so that's where that's where you look." you're kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, aren't you? You know, that's where that all started.
0: And then so. I think he says, uh, I think Dalton was walking by and you might've mentioned, yeah, that's a, that's a good target. There's a lot of meat on that one, you know?
2: That's <laughs> for BS. Yeah, I uh, Yeah. That's all good. Well, but
1: it also must've been cool going back to baseball is that now you've played all your career so far mm-hmm. in the American league and now you're coming over to the national league. How did you like the national league with your style of play?
2: I loved it. You know, in, in the American league, um, if I wasn't starting, which was pretty normal, I was always a kind of a backup outfielder, spot starter, um, at least with the Royals. And so you kind of go to sleep. You know, unless someone gets hurt really early in the game, you just don't do anything until late in the game. And then you might pinch hit for, like, the catcher, if you got a catcher that can't hit. Or anyway, so you don't really – you're not really there all the time, it seems like, mentally. In the National League, you almost got to be ready all the time, you know, at, at least me um, by the third inning. Because, yeah. you know, when things happen, pitchers having a rough day, you got to pinch hit, you know. And 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 so I love the game. I just, you know, and, uh, you know, Larry Boa being our third base coach and, you know, how he just yips and yips and mm-hmm. smartest coach I ever knew. I love the guy, you know. And everybody complains about him hollering all the time, but he was aware of everything. He, he kind of coached uh the way I like to play. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Always ready. You know, there's always you're always ready for the next thing to happen and just be prepared for it. And that's kinda how the national league to me was and it, it it was great. I loved
0: it. Well, that team in particular, too, Jim. I mean, just uh, having those platoons just seemed like everybody on that team contributed. And uh, to Todd Pratt behind the plate, you know, uh, spelling Dutch Ricky, on Mickey uh, Jordan at first base. Yeah, Jordan at first. Uh, you know, you had your platoons in those three positions. It just it seemed like. It, it, every player and the bullpen, everybody on that bullpen, that Kim starting staff was, you know, Ben Rivera had yeah. a great year. Um, David yeah. West, you know, it just seemed like every player on that team produced. And, and uh, you know, as you know, Jim, you know, I uh, wrote a book about uh, that, that team with a friend of mine years ago, and we asked every player uh, what was it like? And every player, every, everybody said it was the most fun they ever had playing baseball. And it, like, it was like Christmas morning, every, you know, coming to the ballpark. So I got to think mm-hmm. just the looseness of that team and, and the fun. And maybe they weren't playing every day, you know. Uh, you know, you, you might you know, want to play that day and you're going to sit because you're, it's the day off that you have. But still, it was, you know, a lot of fun. I guess that had to play into the success of the team.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and there was not anybody that was made to feel not part of the team. We didn't have anybody moping around, you know, there just didn't do it. And the way Jimmy managed to it, he'd like to have everybody, everybody play. You know he's sort of traditional, but you know, he, he didn't really like to have your set nine guys. He said, it takes everybody. And, and as the years have gone on, I've realized, well, that's so true. I wonder, wonder if, guys in the old days could could do better at that could have done better you know by utilizing the whole well 25 man roster whatever I don't know what it is now who's extra guys but you know at um everyone on our team was made to feel like like they were the the best thing going and and knew their role and accepted it and it it was a good thing and you know it's yeah I would definitely agree that it helped add to our success.
1: Well, then we beat Atlanta Braves in the NLCS that year. Everyone remembers, uh, you know, you can still picture Mitch uh, jumping up in the air and everyone flying out of the dugout and people going nuts. And then you go to the World Series, and I think every Phillies fan will always remember uh, game two of the World Series uh, when you had your three-run home run, which uh, brought the house down. Well, brought Philly, in Toronto. I mean, in yeah, Toronto, yeah. brought 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 <laughs> everyone Our section. Everyone in Philadelphia, right at their home, brought their yeah, house down. Yeah. Maybe not in Toronto.
0: In Toronto, is we we had the uh, a charter gym. You know, the front office uh, employees, and so we had a couple sections yeah. at the uh, Toronto Dome. And uh, oh my gosh, that home run! I'll, rem- I'll never forget it. You know, we went nuts because we needed to win that game. We had lost Game One, right, Jim, and then uh, Game right. Two. We we needed that that to come back split. The 0-2 to Eisenreich, Fly ball to right. Well hit. Carter sprinting back. It's over his head and over the fence.
2: A three-run homer for Jim Eisenright. And the Phillies lead 5-0. That, that was pretty fun. <laughs> I watch it every occasionally now. <laughs> uh, now, you're, yep, also, you're also
1: in the same hometown as, uh, I believe, Joe Carter, also uh. lives in Kansas City. So do you ever run into
2: Joe Carter? Yeah, unfortunately, all the time. Uh, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know what's bad is he's a good guy.
0: I know. Said, Jim, I was going to say the I same know. thing. We all want to hate him, but uh, uh, yeah. I've gotten to know him a little bit too, and it's like he is such a good guy, uh, but yep. we'll never forgive him.
2: I know. <laughs> I give him a hard time because we'll be, we'll be doing an autograph thing, and everybody comes up to him, hey, Mr. Carter, can you sign this World Series ending home run, you know, walk off, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> after about the 10th person that does that, Joe are you paying these guys to do this they have no clue that I was on the other team <laughs> well, and and then to add
1: to your to your you know Cinderella's uh, career which is great and I mean that obviously in a very positive way uh, you go to the Florida Marlins once again you know what you're you're pretty good when you sign as a free agent with somebody you uh the, the team goes to the World Series the next year right <laughs> so here you sign with them with the Marlins in nineteen. 19- 90, uh, I guess in December 96. Seven. So, yeah, so right. 97 season. And it's in, we've heard from, uh, you know, Darren had told me this story where, you know, I guess they, uh, they needed leadership. They had Bonilla and they had, you know, Moise Alou, they had Jeff Conine, uh, Sheffield but they needed someone mm-hmm. that they, they were kind of more individuals and they needed more of leader, someone to kind of take over. And that's when they, they got Dutch and obviously they had you, uh, talk about, and you had a, obviously a huge home run, uh, in game three. Uh, so, uh, I mean, talk about that team and talking about being reunited with Dutch.
2: Well, he, you know, he, he was right. Obviously it was, a, a team of some pretty good players, you know, that had a lot of, a lot of success. Um, and we, we, of course, were second fiddle to the Braves, you know, um, which, which was kind of standard, apparently. You know, they were in the midst of their winning. So, anyway, um, we're going along, and, and this is going to be the first year of the wild card, I believe. Um, we had interleague play. I'm trying to think of this through. <laughs> uh, the interleague yeah, play had, started in 97. Yeah, I think the wild card yeah, started yeah. So 97, had, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so um, we needed we needed to have a wild card to be able to get in because we ended up playing, played the Giants right away, and then the Braves played whoever else the other division winner was. I forget. Um, and then we played the Braves for the national championship. So anyway, um, when – we're going on, and the Braves are ahead of us by, I don't know, six, seven games, it seemed like. And we get to the July uh, trading deadline, and we, and we signed Dutch. And um, so it was – because, you know, Jim Leland was our manager. He asked me, he said, what do you think of we're going to bring Dalton in? Oh. oh, he's great, tremendous, you know. Yeah. And said so he's not going to catch. He's going to, you know, use him as a first baseman and pinch hitter. And, you know, I said, no, you'll like him. He, he, he's, he does everything. And so what was funny was when he joined the team, we were in Cincinnati playing the Reds and the first game that he was at, we lost the game. It was kind of a bad game, just stupid. You know, we should have won and we gave it up at the end and lost. And so the, the next day we come back and, and we did the same thing again. We lost the game. It was just played really bad for the guys. We, had. um, and after the game was over, if you remember the old, um, Cincinnati's uh, Riverfront Stadium, the dugout there, um, there was a long tunnel from the dugout up to the clubhouse, a really long one. So right after the game, Dutchy has all the players stay right there at the dugout tunnel entrance. All the bat boys, coaches, managers, everybody else get out, you know. And so what he said to us, he said, I've only been here two bleeping days, and yet it's like it's a country club. You don't even care. You know, I think you got to do something a little different. And that's all he said, you know, and we all go up. We come back the next day and play our third game there, probably getaway day. And Darren's the first baseman and his first at bat, he hit like a broken bat, like a humpback liner over the first baseman's head. And, you know, Darren's knees were all bad with all the surgeries. And he just busted his tail and got a double. Mm -hmm. And I think right there, you know, you had Sheffield and Vanilla and all these guys. Okay, so what he told us last night, he meant it. And that's from then on, the end of July, we we were lights out. We played um, we played the Braves in a home and home in a both four game series. We won three out of four in both. We played the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Orioles. I think we're okay then too. But we we either swept or we won three out of four or two out of three. We we just we had a really good about three weeks, first part of August, and allowed us to get you know in in through September and and make the playoffs. So yeah. Yeah. it was and cool. The, <laughs> the
0: Dutch effect—you gotta love it. The <laughs> what dance. Yeah. Yep, yep. When Jim, when you look back, uh, it's—I know it's probably not fair to say uh, who, what, what team do you identify with the most? Because we want to say you're a Philly, you know, but what's it like when you do come back to Philadelphia? Uh, I mean, the the fans, you're still a fan favorite. I I love it in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, what's it like? Is it a little different uh, when you come to Philadelphia, maybe versus the other, some of the other cities you've played in?
3: Oh, it's a
2: lot different. Yeah. I look forward to it. I mean, it's, (laughs) they don't even get invited to Florida anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had three ownership changes or whatever, and uh, they don't even recognize anybody. You know, it, Fired everybody. That was a former player that used to work for him. Anyway, it's kind of weird, but um, I love the, the. I don't have a problem answering it. The Phillies were my favorite team, and every time I coached my kids, I always and my, my daughter and my oldest son knew that if any of their teams could have had the same kind of rapport attitude that we had, they would have a lot of fun. Yeah. It's like I just I, I wish every team could experience what we had. So I I thoroughly enjoy coming back. You know, and it was with COVID last year. Couldn't go anywhere. I was excited to come to the to, hmm. to Duchess uh, Foundation Tournament. Yeah, awesome! Yeah, <laughs> I awesome. get excited. And you know? I got to
1: say, Jim, too. Like you know, all through the years when you were a Philly, you know, I was down in the clubhouse starting in '94. But I know you always took time, all the time, with, with other kids and families that, that were going through some of the afflictions that you went through, and you always had the time to be with those kids, which is great. And you've continued this to, to this day. You started a foundation, and that's, you know, a lot of your life's work now, post-baseball, is for your foundation. Tell tell the audience
2: about your foundation. Well, we um, you're right. When, when I got to Philly, and we had started this in Kansas City, the local group had asked me to talk to a couple families and that evolved into some of the families coming to the games on Sunday. And, and then when I got to Philly, they, they allowed me to continue that, but then we, we started doing it on the road too. You know, when we were, when we were on the road, meet, meet teams or meet families and in groups. And so um, somewhere along the line there, I just decided, you know, I'd, I, I kind of feel obligated to, to help these kids and their families. Cause I was, I was lucky. I was blessed that I had a two, a second, third, fourth chance to play, you know, and, and it just, it's craziness. So why wouldn't I at least give them the, the proper information, you know, where they can go find out what's going on and, and maybe hope, have them realize that there is hope and these kids are going to be fine. And, and so started the foundation in 96. Um, of course, I was still playing. Um, but it, it's been something that just, you know, tears at my heart when I see families that are struggling. It's mm. like, it shouldn't have to be. And what's happened now, it's been 20 some years later. Um, the second generation or the next generation of families is getting diagnosed. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I get calls and emails. It's like, you know, my, my daughter worked at a at a store and had someone come in and, you know, um, their son was with them and, and, and had some ticks and, and, lady said something my daughter just you know ca- casually said so how's your boy doing or whatever she said you know and well my, my dad has Tourette you know really you know and so then she says here give him call him you know <laughs> it's kind of cool mm, you know nice. it's, it's very um gratifying to me and you know cause it's not about me but it's about helping the kids and when you see kids uh kids don't even know I played anymore I'm old old and gray, mm-hmm. but the, but the parents see their kids light up and like parents are, are now in, in tears. Cause wow, right. we didn't know, you know, yep. so it's cool.
1: And then how do, how do, how do listeners or uh, fans find out about uh, the foundation?
2: Well, I have a, a website and, and I apologize. It's not always up to date and it's, it's Tourette's.org. And I just spell it T O U R E T T E S Dot org. And, you know, the, the, probably the easiest thing to do is just Google my name Yep. and somewhere there's going to be information and they eventually get it, you know, and I, I try to make some calls and, uh, send letters. I still get a lot of letters. I got a PO box, um, nine, five, three, blue Springs, Missouri. Okay. <laughs> if you, if, if they want to know that it's, it's all there, it's, it's, um, online, you know, um. Don't have a phone anymore because nobody. Yeah. <laughs> did a joke about the landline thing. Yeah, we don't no. have those. I, I told Jim. I said we can call
1: you on your landline. Your cell. He said I haven't had a landline in years. <laughs>
2: uh, also,
1: Jim, you, you played for the, as we mentioned, the Royals, the Twins, and the Phillies, and the Marlins. Uh, but you never played for the Jets. But your son was a Jet, wasn't he? <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah, nice tie. You one. like that? Yeah. You like that tie in there? I like it. Your that's son's a Broadway good. star. Thanks. Correct.
2: That's that was that's correct. Uh, And West Side Story,
3: huh?
2: Yeah, no, you know, that was one of the only ones that didn't reopen after COVID. Hmm. And he didn't know why. He kind of, everybody else, all the other theaters in in New York kind of had their reopening date around September 1st and they were all notified in the middle of August that they weren't going to reopen West Side Story. I think it's because uh, either director or one of the producers had committed to something else and i don't know it was he was a little bum, but he, he's doing other things so he, he's doing fine yeah yeah so Still he's waiting for the next one
0: i was <laughs> gonna say yeah, and there'll be a next one if he's he was if he was on broadway i'm sure there'll be a next one yeah
2: well he and he was the big deal and yeah. he was a jet he was his name was the big deal nice oh beautiful yeah, yeah. it was fun
0: all right jim well guess we, what we were lucky yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, John has whipped out his uh, quiz, and uh, you are going to be quiz now on your life. So I hope you're ready for it.
1: Eight questions eight questions, Jim. Eight Multiple questions. choice. It's about your life, so you should. And I know you. You've told me. Uh, you told me a couple months ago when I saw you at the Dalton Foundation <laughs> event that you actually listened to the podcast. So you might have a little hint on there, which. <laughs> Although I I don't think I included anybody from Match Game 76 on this one. So, I'm gonna, again, eight questions. We always say the bar is about five, do we say or six? Uh, six. 6 Gotta is the get bar. Got to get six. And Tom, I love Ashley's questions because you're never prepared. What does he win if he gets six out of eight? Uh, we've been giving out a lot of
0: Fanatic dolls lately, and now we can give an original design Fanatic doll because the original Fanatic's back, which we'll talk about a yes. little later, John. But All yes. right, there you go. You're going to get a, a, a Fanatic doll, Jim.
1: You're getting a, yes, Fanatic doll. All you got to do is get six out of eight, and here's your first question. We mentioned that you went to St. Cloud State, a great hockey school in Minnesota. Which of these celebrities did not did not go to St. Cloud State? So I'm going to mention four celebrities. Three of them went to St. Cloud <laughs> One did not. Which one did not? So, A is Richard Dean Anderson, who people will remember as MacGyver. Uh, Jim Varney, who is Ernest P. Worrells, Says, you know what I mean, Vern? Right? Uh, Former (laughs) NHL player Ryan Malone, played for the Penguins, Rangers, and Lightning. Or renowned female wrestler and four-time TNA women's knockout champion ODB. One dirty, I won't tell you what the B stands for. So. Is it Richard Dean Anderson, Jim Varney, Ryan Malone, or the wrestler ODB? I thought you said celebrities went to St. Cloud. It sounds
0: like Jim's the only celebrity. Are they, <laughs> no, are they, are they all celebrities? MacGyver? MacGyver. Okay. Right.
1: Ryan Malone's a gonna- star hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say ODB. No, I threw you off, Jim Varney. Never went Jim learn Varney. There. I was trying to think of the most no random clue. celebrity. Yeah, sorry, I have even right. heard of that guy before. These ones get hard. Right. It. it gets easier. Your first professional team was the 1980 Elizabethton Twins, located in Elizabethton, Tennessee. Which one of these guys was not a teammate on that team? Okay, so you have to go back to 1980. Three of these were three of these guys were teammates. One was not. Okay, A is Gary Loris. B is Jeff Reed. C is Boyce Orasco and D is Mingo Nunez. So Gary Loris, Jeff Reed, Boyce Orasco, Mingo Nunez, which was not yeah, a Gary,
2: Gary Gary Loris is not a name I ever heard of.
1: Yes, Gary Loris is the lead singer of the Jayhawks, who are from <laughs> Minnesota. Okay, so you are correct. There you go. Gary Loris is not a <laughs> teammate of yours. Uh, and I love yep. the Jayhawks, and they're from Minnesota, by the way. So check them out. Uh, all right, you're one for two. Which of these celebrities... Did not, does not, or did not have Tourette Syndrome. Okay? So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you four celebrities. Three of them have have or had it. One does not. Okay? American singer mm-hmm. Billie Eilish, soccer star David Beckham, uh, C is actor Telly Savalas, and D is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. So you've got Billie Eilish, David Beckham, Telly Savalas, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Which one d- did not or does not have Tourette Syndrome?
2: You know, I, I it's down to two. Um, gosh, darn it! I, I'm gonna who's it down to? Because
1: maybe you get a lifeline with Tom Burgoyne. Well, it, it's between Billy Eilish and um, Telly Sov- Telly Savalas. Oh, I might have just given you a clue right there.
3: I Ta- Tom, said.
1: I I don't know. I I didn't uh, Beckham uh, was uh, I know. Go Kojak. Go Kojak. Kojak well, Beckham. No, you're going Kojak. So yes. You got it right. Who's Ta- soccer guy you said. Ta- it's De- David Beckham. And he uh, has Tourette yeah, syndrome, yep, huh? Yep. How about that? Billy Eilish, David Beckham, and Mozart all have it, or had it. And mm-hmm. Telly Savalas won. So you are two for three. All right. In 1989, you played your first full season as a Major League regular, uh, and you won the KC Royals Player of the Year. You beat out Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm. How about that? Bo Jackson doesn't get beat out very much in, in any awards. Um, which one of your teammates that year was a star baseball player at Penn Charter here in Philadelphia, the same school that Dave Montgomery, Matt Ryan, and Ruben Amaro Jr. all attended. Okay? So <laughs> do, you, do you know the answer already? I bet, yeah. Uh, a is Willie Wilson. B, Danny Tartable. C, Floyd Bannister. D, Mark Gubiza.
2: Gooby. Gooby, yeah. Oh, exactly Gooby's right. always jealous that I went to the Philly. All right. That's always jealous. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Three of four. All right, you're on a roll. You were second on the 1993 Phillies team in batting average when you hit 318. And after reading all your stuff, I think you hit 300 in your sleep, right? I know, I know. I mean, my gosh. You woke up. Uh, the stats are unbelievable. All right, so who was first that year in 1993 with a batting average of 324? Do you need, the, do you need the, uh, this multiple choice or you want to – here's a multiple yeah, choice. Yeah, you, better give, me, it's, it's you John, better give me the choice. John Cruck, Kevin Stocker, The Dude, or Mariana Duncan?
2: Cheese. 1993. <laughs> So does the, the number of at bats count? <laughs> uh, well,
1: I did have a qualifier of like over 150, so you couldn't have, okay. you know, like Ruben Reub, technically, I think, had the highest batting. No, average. Larry Anderson
0: batted 1,000. Oh, oh. well, Larry yeah. uh, got a hit in Chicago early in the season. He, he was one for one. one. Was he? Yeah. Right.
2: yeah. And he wondered if he gets another hit, he'll be two hit 2,000. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, he'd always say he hit, he's a career 300 <laughs> hitter because he played in three yeah. decades and got a hit in each decade. <laughs>
2: yep. So I think Stock had the best correct. You are right. Yes. All right.
1: You're on a I roll. four for five all right you won a world series with the Florida Marlins as we mentioned 1997 who led that team in home runs that year with 23 okay was it Sheffield Benia, Alou or Conine you got Sheffield Benia, Alou or Conine 23 home runs 23 led the club huh yeah
2: 1997 yeah Hmm. yeah and I I almost don't think it was Sheffield it should have been but I don't think it was
1: so you got but so if right. you're going to eliminate Sheffield Bobby, which
2: Bobby is, Bobby Bull. No, Moisey Alou.
1: Moise Alou. Was it yeah. Alou? Alou? Yeah. All right, you only have you, you're basically you need wow. to get the next two. Need to get the
0: next two, Jim. No pressure.
1: All right. So this one should be easy. Which Toronto pitcher did you hit a 3-run home run off of in the 3rd inning in game 2 of the World Series? Mike Timlin, Mark Icorn, Tony Castillo or Dave Stewart?
2: Dave Stewart. Stewart. All right, nice. so now
1: you, I'm going to give you a hockey question for the last question. Uh, for the doll. For the doll, right? <laughs> big, 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 big deal right here. You ready? So, uh-huh. obviously, I know you're a big hockey fan. We've talked to a lot of hockey. Who has won the most Stanley Cups as a player with 11? He's, been, he's won 11 Stanley Cups as a player. Now, I'm going to tell you right now it's a Canadian because. That, it's almost like guessing that for the Yankees. It's got to be someone, you know, the Canadians are the team that won the most Stanley Cups. So was it right. Henri Richard, or otherwise known as Rocket Richard? Was it Yvonne Cornoyer? I love saying that last name. Was it Jacques mm-hmm. Lemaire, or was it Bernie Jeffrion? Was it Rocket Richard, Yvonne Cornoyer, Jacques Lemaire, or Bernie Jeffrion? Wow.
2: There's There's a... <laughs> And they were my favorite team. Um, I almost think you got to go with the Rocket Rashard. Rocket Rashard is
1: correct. Six for eight. Nice you got you it. And wow. You won nice. a fanatic doll. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jim, uh, we really appreciate you uh, joining me and John. We love seeing when you come into town and uh, really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us. And
1: I'm going to see you in January for Fantasy Camp. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll be there. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Yep, thank you. All yeah, right. Sounds great. Great. Thanks,
0: Jim. Have a great holiday, too, all right? Really appreciate thank it. Thank
2: you. You guys, too. All, all right. right. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye-bye.
0: There he was, Izzy. John, it's always exciting, huh? When we're talking to any of any of these guests, but um, certainly with Izzy, it's great. You know, yeah, it's such a good guy. One of the good guys. We always say,
1: oh, "Who's the uh,
0: you know one of the good guys?" You know, when we put our list together, and uh, yeah, it's it's always Izzy's usually number one.
1: Well, I talk about my first year in '94, and I mentioned this when Dave Hollins is on. I said there's landmines everywhere, right? Right. And he was one of the few safe spaces that Kevin Stocker, Mickey Morandini, Uh, I I didn't know how nice Tommy was green back then. Right. right. You know, he was just intimidating because he's so big. (laughs) But it was literally Stalker, Izzy, and Morandini were the three, in my opinion, like the normal. Oh, uh, yeah, I think, right? But and I didn't know Milt, and I didn't know like some of these guys. Now you know them as the nicest people in the right, world. Right. But those three were like my little safe space so that I could ask them a question without, <laughs> you know, without getting yelled at or <laughs> yeah, right, intimidating. And what a story, right, John?
0: I mean, I know when we were preparing, we were both looking at each other, uh, you know, earlier in the week, like man, you know, it. You said it. It, it really could be. It's a uh, movie. A it, movie. It's
1: someone I, I can't believe someone hasn't done yeah. a movie on this. I mean, I mean he really. retired
0: for three years, came back. That's uh, that's in itself yeah, crazy. Yeah. And you know he like say you know he he got bullied. I know he said back then he didn't consider it bullying. You know just thought it was ah yeah kids are gonna make fun of me. He Almost took it in stride. But uh, hey the
1: fact is he had he had a lot of lot of things to go through. You know yeah and what, you have to have kid. an inner drive to yep, to, to yep. go through that yep. and to to, the, to achieve the success he had despite you know the affliction that wasn't diagnosed until twenty three. I mean that's just truly amazing. Yeah and yet it's got to say something about someone's character, his heart, his drive. You know to be able to overcome. That pretty much on his own. I mean, the doctors obviously helped, but, you know, he really, again, didn't get diagnosed until 23. So, amazing story.
0: Great story. Well, and I said it uh, during the interview, John.
1: Um the fanatic, the old fanatic's back. The, uh, well, he never left. I mean, that's the thing. Never he never left. left. He just, but, now you explained to me that the, I know Charles, Dar- the, yeah. the fanatic is from the Galapagos Islands. Correct. And Charles Darwin, obviously you always hear about the all the animals that have just, uh, it's, it has the most evolved animals, right? Yeah, on, yeah. So all this kind planet. of different
0: species. And when Darwin went there, he observed them and, and came up with a lot of his theories of adaptation and right. survival of the fittest and just evolution in general. And uh, so the Fanatic really is a, a product of that. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, he was going through some of these changes. And we just thought, well, he's evolving, you know. He, he he's a bird, so he's kind of growing these things under his arm. We thought were scales or you know feathers, uh, stars around his eyes. Um, not sure of that. And you know the bigger the bigger butt. We just thought, well, you know that's kind of tasty tasty cakes in or something. Yeah, a lot
1: of tasty cakes.
0: But we thought it was a product of evolution. Well, it turns out he's done the opposite. He, he's going backwards on the evolutionary scale, John. It's well, crazy. it makes
1: sense he's because he's eight years old every year, right? <laughs> so like he sure. never gets any older, and he's always still as immature as a eight. Year old, right? He's, so, yes,
0: he's devolving. He's not that's evolving, that's really
1: plateauing, really. He's, he, but he's devolving in this one now. He's
0: going backwards. Yeah, right. he's uh shed, I, shed the wings. I don't, th- I mean, I think we don't want to completely evolve. Like, you're completely evolved, John. <laughs> you're a renaissance man. You are, but you're the height of the food chain, you know. <laughs> but the fanatic is, you know, a few. Fries short of a happy meal, you right. know, and that's how we like it. Like the so. wheel is
1: spinning, but the hamster's dead. Correct. Right. He's going backwards. He's going backwards, right. <laughs>
0: so, uh, so it's cool. It was really great to see the fans get so excited on social media. Uh, the, you know, the Phillies posted a couple uh, fun tweets, and uh, it's really cool to see fans are so excited to to get the original look back. Yeah. So, uh, it's uh, like, yeah. It's yeah. like
1: the original Coke, new Coke. Yeah. Back to it's original it's, Coke. It's exactly right.
0: right. We're back to the original.
1: Right. And uh, you know what I did today, Tom? which of which I, I, uh, you're going to be part of this as well down the road. I got an email from, uh, we got an email from a gentleman who is uh, on a cheesesteak quest, right? He's, he's, he's on his night. He ate his 962nd cheesesteak today. And about a month ago he reached out and he wanted me to have a cheesesteak with him. I, he must listen to our podcast, right? So I said, I'm going to be in South Philly on today's date. And he said, All right, we're gonna to go to actually it's his favorite cheesesteak place in the area. So I know we have Tony Luke's here and we have Campos and you know, but but he took me down to Moya Messing. Did I say that right? Yeah. Did Why I I missing? <laughs> Why I'm missing? Yeah, yeah. I just lost my credibility right there. Uh, he took me check to, out to the main yeah, line. <laughs> he took me to Charlie's roast pork. Charlie, which I got to say was really good. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, now, how many cheesesteaks is this guy? That eat? was his 962nd. 900. So I think he wants to have his 972nd. Not eight. one a day. He doesn't eat. No, uh, not a one a day. But day. he has about four a week. But he said four he wants week. to have his 975th with you. Does he weigh nine hundred and seventy-five no, pounds? No, actually, I, that's <laughs> what I was expecting. But he's no, yeah, he's right How about that. Does good. he exercise? Or sure, he must, right? Huh? Yeah. So or he might be a little judicious. I don't know if he eats the whole cheesesteak, Right? He yeah. said he gave. You know, he would eat a cheesesteak and eat half of it, and then give the other half to a homeless person or oh, someone that's, that's nice. you know someone that's.
0: But um, how do I figure in it out? You're saying he's roping me in. Well,
1: he asked if, if I could do it, and, then I, and then, he, then I said, you know what? I volunteered yourself. I said. I can eat a cheesesteak. Tom Burgoyne. <laughs> I'm looking loves, at you. Loves You definitely hey, have eaten hey. a couple cheesesteaks, my friend. It's good thing it's not on video. I'm wearing a loose shirt. Um, uh, it's not that loose. But, yes, you are. All right. In that case, you're going to be you're gonna be hitting the 90, 970th and 975th. So. Uh,
0: I'd be happy to do it. Give me a call, cheesesteak man. There you go. I'll eat a cheesesteak with Pappas. you. Jim name. Pappas. Pappas yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap, John. Love having the anytime we get a 93 Philly on here. It's great, but uh I know we'll, we got some fun guests coming up and uh you know, it's all good. Sounds good. It's all good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody uh, to another episode of Philly's backstage and we will see you next time.
3: Thanks